Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Sometimes I talk to people about the podcast and I hear things like, I really like it when you interview experts on things and they're meaning the authors and people who spend a lot of time studying and writing about the work we do. And I love those podcasts too. But the people who I think we really have the most to learn from many times are experts like Lauren Hauser, who you're going to meet today. She's an assistant principal. She spent 17 years in education at this point and has served in a lot of different roles. She has a lot of wisdom on what it means to lead both with people that are at her level, people that are above, and people that are that answer to her. And so, I love it when we get this kind of expertise from the field. So, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Lauren Hauser. This week, we have Lauren Hauser, who is assistant principal at Aiken Elementary in Leander ISD here in the great state of Texas. Really excited to talk to her, partly because she is a great colleague of Sahira Kodra, who's in the Center for School Leadership. And like all great leaders, great leaders always connect us to other outstanding leaders. So, Lauren, uh, welcome into Just Schools podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, if you can give us just a little bit of background on how you ended up in Leander in the position you're in and how you ended up connected to a place like the Baylor Center for School Leadership, that would be great. Sure. So, I, um, you know, went to school to, to be a teacher. I um, wanted to um, come, I come from a family of educators. And so, um, you know, did, went that traditional path, um, graduated from Texas State with a degree in interdisciplinary studies. Um, and I actually was really fortunate to get a student teaching position in Leander ISD. And so um, did not uh, work right away after I um, graduated because I actually, my husband and I were expecting our first child. And so I took a, a little bit of time off, um, took about a year off to, you know, become a parent. And that's a big change. Um, yes. And then actually during that time, I kind of had the thought of like, I don't think I will ever teach I'll just do other things you know and raise my babies and um my husband his parents actually passed away unexpectedly and so we found ourselves in a situation where I needed to work outside the home and um I feel strongly that God opened a door I was hired to teach um in Leander as a first grade teacher in November um I was on a team that needed a ninth teacher so they pulled um, two students from each class, and I started with 16 students, and that was my way of just jumping right into the teaching profession um, and have been doing it ever since. So been, this is my 17th year in education. So I taught for a total of nine years in the classroom. I taught first, second, and third grade and um, have worked for amazing principals who gave me lots of opportunities to try different things. And so in that nine years, I looped twice. I looped from first grade to second grade. And then um, my last year, I looped from second grade to third grade. And so uh, just really got to experience the connection with families, um, just and, and being able to build on what we had learned that previous year. And, and so um, that was a great experience. 
From there, I had a principal encourage me to apply to be an instructional coach. I didn't really have a, an interest in leaving the classroom, but I did have a passion for supporting teachers. I felt strongly that, you know, we were we were losing really good teachers, you know, because it, it, it's a hard job and, and that that challenge is always there. And are we matching that challenge with uh, systems of support? And so um, took another leap of faith. And uh, accepted, I, I interviewed for an instructional coaching position and was offered that. And I served in that role for five years. Um, and again, had no desire to become an administrator at all. But when I was in that role, I really saw the uh, impact a principal could have on setting people up for success, on setting those systems up to support students. Um, and I thought, well, again, the principal I worked for said, suggested um, you should go back to school. This piece of paper could open a lot of doors for you. And so I did. And um, we had a great program in Leander. We have a partnership with a, a college. And so our, our instructors for our master's program was um, some of them were Leander district leaders and then some were our other were professors. And so um, got my master's degree, got my pr principal certification, and then after five years of being an instructional coach, started to, to apply for AP jobs and um, have been an AP. This is my third year as an assistant principal um, at Aiken Elementary. Yes. Yeah, so what a great example of the Lord leading in ways that you didn't foresee and through tragic circumstances with your husband's family and that push gave us a great educator. And that's been a blessing to the schools I'm sure you served in. I want to go back to one of the things you said about looping. And so that wasn't, and I, I didn't really have the idea of jumping into this because I didn't know you had done that, but I was just reading in Adam Grant's most recent book, Hidden Potential. He highlights Finland. Finland gets held up as a great example of education for a lot of reasons. But one of the things I didn't know that they did that I think is potentially really valuable moving into an era where artificial intelligence is going to affect all professions. And so therefore it's going to affect the profession that makes all others possible. So we're going to see that happen in education. And instead of being afraid of it, it's figuring out what we can do to enhance our ability to build relationships with students. And one of the, I got to loop one year from fourth to fifth grade when I taught um, in Finland, they loop for up to six years sometimes with groups of students so that builds this deep relationship where that student is seen and known by a great educator. Now, we hesitate to do that in the U.S., I think, for some sad reasons. We worry that what if our kids get stuck with an educator who's not particularly effective for six years? <laughs> but in, in a system where you have great educators, that shouldn't be a concern. You should say as a parent, like, oh, how amazing would it be for me to have Lauren as a teacher for these two years or John, in my case, for these two years, because we get to know students deeply. Where do you see the benefits of looping and maybe more broadly relationship building between teachers and students playing out in a world that is changing rapidly? Where do you see the advantages of looping and just that relationship building in general? Well, I mean, my, my personal experience was I, I just, I knew the students. So, you know, being, I think teaching elementary, it's interesting because we, we have these, um, you know, we have people who will say, oh, the content experts, right? And I definitely can see that in secondary, you know, that maybe you go to school to be, you know, a chemist or whatever. But in elementary, we're really experts in kids. And I'll talk with teachers about that. I'll be like, you know, you know, this student better than anybody else in the building. 
And so I think just being able to really know how, how kids learn, how they learn best, their environment, their families. I think we, we're, we're seeing a lot of, in the last 10 years, I'm seeing a lot of inconsistencies in the home, in their home setting. So their one consistent place is school. The one consistent person in their life is their teacher. Um, and I've, I've seen that a lot when I'm supporting kiddos with some, some behaviors. It's that they're acting out. They act this way for you because they feel safe with you. They know that no matter how badly they're behaving, the, the next day you're going to be at the door greeting them with a hug and a smile. And so um, I just definitely see the, the, the power in that of, of um, knowing the student, having a relationship. You're, you're not having to spend so much time you know, recreating or setting the expectations with your kiddos or setting up those systems because they know the system. For me, it was such an advantage because I could spend my effort in, in learning the new grade level skills, um, but I knew the kiddos. So I didn't have to spend a lot of time in, in trying to figure out, okay, what do they previous, what, what is their prior knowledge? What do they know? What do they go home to? Because I knew all that. So I could spend more of my energy and effort in learning the grade level standards and if there was a different resource for um, certain content areas. Yeah. So one of the things that I've appreciated about you is the way you've described students and the way you see each student and your deeply held value is that it's our job to come alongside and help them become more of who they're created to be. That's a common theme that seems to be running through your answers and in some of the interactions that we've had. How do you deal with leaders who may not have those same shared values, whether those are leaders that are above you on the same level as you or at, at a level below you? How, how have you led through that? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I've, I've worked with lots of different kinds of leaders, different styles for sure. Um, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty for me anyways. And so it's one of those things where sometimes um, after – because I've had lots of different principles and, and, and that sort of thing. And so it's usually after the fact that I, that I feel like I almost learned the most from them. Um, you know, I think that when we have different values, I think it's just really focusing on, um, you know, well, what do we, what do we have in common? But ultimately I'm going to, I'll share this with you. Um, you know, if I'm talking about a principal and I'm an assistant principal or a teacher, I mean, ultimately it, this has been something God has, been um, growing in is, is that submission to authority, you know, that, you know, ultimately, they are the principal and it is their, their campus. And my job is to support them. And, um, and sometimes, even though I am a big why person, and I want to know why are we doing it this way? Sometimes I think God's telling me, you know, you just need to trust in me, Lauren, and it and I I've got this, you know, and so, um, but it's focusing on what do we share, you know, the values that we do share. And I've been fortunate to work for leaders that even when we have differences, at the end of the day, kids come first. You know, we're here, our, 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 we're here to serve our students and, and our families. So because you've served so many different roles and now you're in the assistant principal role, which is one of the most thankless roles in school. <laughs> so any assistant principals listening, thank you for what you do. How do you see your opportunities to lead well from that position as compared to when you were a teacher or an instructional coach or thinking about the principal you just described? Where do you see the opportunities as an AP? Mm-hmm. I think um, I'm reading a book right now, and it's called um, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. It's um, leveraging influence when you don't have authority. And it's just helped me see that, you know, 
it that it is in the, in the influence. It is in how I interact with students and what others observe. It's how I treat each each teacher. You know that when my radio goes off and there's something I would really rather do, but that's a moment where I can build trust, right? I can build um, a relationship with that teacher when I am going to drop something really important to go and help and serve them. Um, I think we in, in Leander we talk a lot about continuous improvement and we have what I call four pillars of that, which is collaboration, ownership, cycles of improvement, and failing forward. And so that's kind of my lens when I'm working with teachers um, or teams of teachers. How am I providing an opportunity for them to collaborate? How am I setting up a safe environment where they can fail forward? How do I look at things through the lens of cycles of improvement, like leading with curiosity and asking questions? And then where are there opportunities for them to own whatever it is we're discussing or trying to implement, where they feel that they have that autonomy, um, but that there there's support there, right? Because just saying, hey, go do this without that support can be um, can be in some ways discouraging for, for our, our teachers. So um, that's kind of the lens I try to see as an assistant principal or any, any, any role I play. I try to look through those four different um, lenses. Super helpful. The focus on influence, uh, John Maxwell, you know, leadership guru says leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. That's what it is that, you, you know, you don't lead by yourself, you lead with others and you only get people to follow if you have some influence over them. And so I think dictatorial leadership can be efficient, but it's not really leadership. It does maybe get stuff done, but people don't believe in it. They don't co-own it. And so you don't move very far, very fast. The other thing that you just said that made me curious is the failing forward piece. We hear that a lot in schools. And as a parent of kids, I actually don't really want my teachers, kids' teachers failing badly <laughs> in educating my child. But Amy Edmondson's just come out with a book on this. She's an expert on uh, failure and how to fail well in teams. She's at Harvard. And one of the things she says is we have to create situations where failing as a component of iteration is important, but it's not overly costly. And she gives the example of pilots. <laughs> we don't want airplane pilots failing. That's a, there's zero tolerance for failure when they're actually flying a plane. We want them failing regularly in a flight simulator. So what are some of the, for teachers, what are some of the flight simulator types of things that you want to see them iterating and failing on as opposed to taking a wild, undisciplined risk with a classroom that's going to ruin a third grader's education for that year? What do you see as those, this is the place to fail forward. This is the way we fail forward and learn and iterate. Where do you see that happening? Yeah, no, I'm glad you shared that. That that's a that's a really good point. <laughs> and now I'm going to be thinking about that every time I get on a, an airplane. Um, I think, <laughs> Sorry. You know, no, that's okay. I love. It. I think that's a good point, though, because you know, to me, f- failing forward is it's creating. We talk about it. It's a catalyst for change, right? That it's only it's only useful if you have an opportunity to reflect on it. You know, why did this not go well? What could we do differently? What's something I need to change in my in my life or my heart to to grow in that, right? Um, I think in the classroom, um, I mean, what what kind of came to mind when you asked this question was, to me, uh, an, an example of, of a non example would be not asking for help. You know that you that your you know your classroom management you don't have any, the systems aren't there. Kids are you know out of control. Teaching is 
you know, instruction is um, being, you know, compromised or sacrificed. And because we're afraid of judgment, right? We're afraid of what are others going to think, or we're afraid that we're going to bother our mentor teacher or bother our admin. We don't ask for that help. And so that, and then, and then those habits start to form and students start, start to not respect the teacher. And then when someone does intervene, they've now handed that, that power over to that other person. That's, that's been something I've seen recently. Yeah, I love that example because it's one of the fun parts of teaching is finding ways you can take risks. I call it disciplined risk. So it's not just random risk. It's risk with the idea that you're going to learn from it. Chip and Dan Heath say the promise of risk taking is not success, it's learning. And so if you aren't learning from those risks, then you're just burning capital with people. And so I'm always trying new things with my grad students, my undergrad students. We have leadership presentations that are coming up and I love giving them this opportunity to see all different kinds of versions. They have the rubric and the criteria for success, but then I love the different things they bring into it. And some of them don't go well, they fail and then they get feedback and they do them again. Uh, I do the same thing all the time where I'm introducing new readings or new interactions. Some of them work really well. Some of them don't. Most of the times I can revise them, make them better. Sometimes it's just a full on reject. I mean, I nearly burned down my science lab when I was teaching. I'm not going to make a lava lamp over an open flame again with my Bunsen burner. That was something I should have known better than to do in the, at the beginning. So I think as educators, we need to be honest with where we fail and share that back with our professional learning network, but then also find ways to continue to iterate and improve. So one of the things that I think is key for especially Christian educators, wherever they're called, is to know what's at the core. What's the part that I'm not going to compromise? This is why I do what I do. This is what animates me. So how do I iterate around that core? So how do you lean into what your core mission and core calling is in your role as an educational leader? I think for me, it's just knowing that, you know, well, first of all, knowing that I am a child of God and knowing that I am saved by grace. And I make mistakes every day in my job, outside of my job. And, and there are days where I struggle with, am I even worthy to, you know, be in this, in this position, right? And so I think just recognizing that even though we serve public educators, we serve all students from all backgrounds, race, gender, ethnicity, religion, all of that, they are still a, a precious being. And um, just making sure that we, you know, that for me, that I'm treating them with that same type of respect, that same type of, you know, that of, you know, love. And so um, I think it's important too to remember for me, uh, again, I'm very much a fallen person, right? But that I'm, I'm, my purpose here on this planet is to, you know, shine the light of the Lord. And so I try really hard in my interactions to, to do that. Um, and if I don't, I um, humble myself and apologize and I need to apologize or own those errors when I need to, you know, own them. I think um, it's really important. We have a, I feel like we live in a world today where um, apologizing and, and owning our mistakes, we don't see that. We see that as a weakness. And I feel strongly that if we're, if we're trying to raise um, contributing people for society, we've, we've got to model that for them. But, and I tell kids all the time because well, the majority of my work is, you know, discipline, right? Um, as an assistant principal. And so it's really important that I want kiddos to know that there are consequences to our choices. And it's important that they are able to, you know, weigh those, right? But 
this is the place, this is the playground of life. I want them learning those lessons here at school where we have the support to, to help them. And I explain that to parents too, because a lot of times I'm calling parents and they're upset and they may not be on board with what, you know, I'm suggesting as a, as a consequence. And so we partner, we work together on that, but I want them to know that, you know, Hey mom and dad, this is where we want them to, to, to make those mistakes because right now they've got the support system and they've got a team of, of educators helping them and, and rallying for them. That's such a good point with the way we think about discipline. I, I've always found it odd, especially in elementary school, where we have these forced apologies, where we tell one kid to apologize to another. Both kids know that it's not, it's not genuine. It's not real. How do we get kids to actually be able to put into words how they broke community with someone? Will you please forgive me for this? That's a really hard thing to say. And as educators, we have to be willing to say that to each other and to our kids, not just, I'm sorry if I made you feel this way. That's not an apology. Uh, That is an acknowledgement that you may have hurt someone, but it's not an apology. And so how do we get them to feel that so that we actually restore community? And that's what the point of a consequence is. I don't think of us as punishing kids. I don't think it's, it's, how do we have consequences that help them see, here's how we live. I liked your term, the playground of life. Here's what this looks like, because those are more valuable than almost anything we're going to do in the day, those lessons about how we live life together in community. And as educators, we need to be better at leading in those ways. So, I appreciate that perspective. Okay. So, we usually wrap up with a lightning round, and I usually have four or five questions. If you can answer them in a, a word, a phrase, a few sentences. Some people are better at this than others. I would not be good at the lightning round, but uh, we'll start with the easy ones that I usually ask. Uh, give me best advice and worst advice. Take them in whatever order you want. Best advice you've received as an educator and worst advice you've received. Oh gosh, I've, I've gotten some great advice. So I'll start with that. Um, I think, you know, obviously lead with curiosity. Um, I've been, um, encouraged, you know, as a leader, when you're on, you're on, when you're off, you're on, um, the, you know, uh, hire for attitude, train for the job. I think something that I recently heard, which uh, was really relevant to where, where I currently am is take the word defend out of your vocabulary. You know, and um, that's been something that I keep hearing when I'm having those hard conversations. Um, I'm trying to think what else. And then just, you know, my mom's always saying every everything you do, you know, do it as though you're doing it for the Lord. So mm. I think that's pretty good advice. Bad advice. I don't know if I've gotten really bad advice. Advice that I haven't always appreciated. And, I, and so I hope I can elaborate a little bit is um, when you're in assistant type roles. Um, when, some, when you're, when you're, when it is said, you know, your job is to make, you know, the principal look good, right. Or your job is to make the superintendent look good or whatever. Um, I agree with that, but to me, I feel like it's low hanging fruit. And what I mean by that is, you know, I, I don't want teachers to think their job is to make me look good. You know, I mm-hmm. want them to know that their job is to do their very best to serve each and every child that they work with and encounter. And it, if they do that, they're going to accomplish our mission and vision of this campus. And if they do that, you know, a, a byproduct of that is we all look good, right? And so um, that that advice, I've heard it multiple times from, you know, conferences and things. And I'm always like, ooh, I get it. I agree with it. But I want it to be more than just making someone look good because that's easy. I can, there's a lot of things I could do to make somebody look good, you know? 
Well, I would flip that advice. It's the leader's job to make the people he or she serves look good. And they look good by serving students well. And so it's not about how we look. It's about what we do for others around us. And so I think any leader that thinks it's up to people that are quote unquote underneath them to make them look good. That's a super troubling perspective to bring to that. I think Um, one of the things in one of the Thank you for the multiple pieces of good advice you shared. One of the things that reminded me of Scott Drew was talking to a group of educators. He's Baylor's men's basketball coach. And he said one of the things he asks himself regularly is, would I want to be coached by someone like me today? So I think we have to keep that in mind as leaders. Like, hey, we know we have bad days, but I think it was your thing when we're on, we're on, when we're off, we're on. Like, it, it's real. Uh, culture's happening, whether we acknowledge it or not, we're building it, whether we're contributing positively or negatively. So love that. Let's see. I'll g- give you two more questions. As you look at what's going on in Leander, we're in Texas right now. There's a lot of polarization, there are culture wars, there are people at each other. Uh, what makes you most concerned you know, just briefly in the in the year ahead, what what makes you most concerned? And then we'll end with what makes you most optimistic. But let's start with the concern first. I, I think it's the concern that I have right now and, and maybe, you know, for the last year or so is there's just such a high level of distrust and fear. And so, you know, a lot of the challenges that I encounter, you know, and it's more micro and I understand that, but I feel like it's overcoming this distrust. And I think the root of that is fear, you know, just there's a lot of of fear of like, what are you doing with my children or what are they hearing or, and so um, how do we overcome that? You know, you can't manufacture trust, right? You can't, it's not something that can be, you know, uh, hot wired or whatever, but so how do, how do we build that? You know, how do we create, and if we can't build it, how do we create, communication or feedback loops where people can, our parents, our community, our students, our staff can share in a way that is um, where they're not afraid to share. No, that's, that's good. What makes you most optimistic about the year ahead? Mm. It, and this is a feeling, it's not based on facts, but it feels that after coming out of COVID and just all of the ramifications of that, it feels like we're finally coming back to you know, I don't want to say normal because it's not normal, but we're coming, we're, we're coming back to where I think people are wanting to spend more time together. We are, we're, we're, we're seeing the value in those community events. We're seeing the value in um, having, having our volunteers and, and families on campus. And, and so it's it kind of, in some ways it feels like um, a little bit of a, of a revival on campus. That's good. I, I do feel that. And I feel the optimism that comes from that. And that's encouraging. Well, Lauren, really appreciate the work you do on behalf of students. We've enjoyed getting to know you through the center and through Sahira, who always speaks so highly of you. And really appreciate you taking time to be with us today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the part of our conversation where we started talking about failure and what that looks like. Amy Edmondson's work, The Right Kind of Wrong, is a super helpful book in thinking about how to fail well in ways that don't hurt kids. So, obviously, we don't want failure when someone's flying a plane. We don't want them failing while they're doing that. We don't want them to fail forward that way. But we do want them to fail in the flight simulators. We want to know how to grow from mistakes that we make. So, how do we create opportunities in classrooms for teachers and students 
to make mistakes and learn from those mistakes and grow so that when the consequences become greater, we have students that are resilient, that have learned from mistakes so that they can ultimately succeed. That's the work we get to do in the profession that makes all of this possible. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Thank you.